0: Krishna Prasaya Vitalakri Mati Bhakti Banajaswami Tinamane Namaste Sarasvati deve Goravani Pachani Nivases and Yvari Paskat Sachani Vandeham Sri Guru shri Tha Padakamalam Sri Guru N Vaishna Rukam Sadujatam Sahagana Ravinatam Vikam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvritham Paditana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya. Śrīrāda, Kṛṣṇa, Padāmsa, Haganala, Vita, Śrīvaśākam, Vitaṅścha, Vanchakalpa, Śrīvaśāk, Vipassanāvi, Avatāpati, Tunnel, Bhāvanī, Rāgāśnareva, Vitaṅścha. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevāya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevāya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevāya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om So it's February 13th, 2023, in Hillsborough, North Carolina. Reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 42, Text 28 to 31. So we'll read through 28. Adarshanam Swashirasha Adarshanam Swashirasha Prati Ubey Cha Chesatya B Prati Satya <laughs> P. Satya P. Twiti Tieta Satya P. Twiti Tieta Dwai <dvairupyam> Joti Shantata <laughs> Pratis Prana Goshan pashtuti Swarna Prati Swapadana adarshanam Swapne pretya parishvanga Kadayanam besadanam Yayam naladamal yakas ye- ye- Tau digambara Anyani Cheta bhutani Swapna jagari tani cha Pasya Nitra lehain Adarshanam Adakshana. The invisibility. The invisibility. Literally, it means you can't see. Swa. Swa. Of, his own. of his own. Shirasha. Shirasha. Head. head. So, in other words, he couldn't see his head. Pratirupe. His reflection. His reflection. Cha. Cha. And. and. Sati. Sati. Being present. Being present. Api. Api. Even. Even. Asati. Asati. They're not being. Even. Api. Api. Even. Even. Dvitiye. Dvitiye. A cause for duplication. Cha. And Dwai rupyam. rupyam Double image. Double Sham. of the heavenly bodies. Of the heavenly Tata. Tata. Also. also. Chidra. Of a whole. Of a whole. Praktiti. Praktiti. The scene. The scene. Chayayam. Chayayam in his shadow, in his shadow. Prana. prana of his life air, of his life air. gosha, gosha. Of, the of the reverberation, anupash anupashuti, anupashuti. The, failure the failure to hear, swarna, swarna. of a golden color, color. pratity the reception, the perception, perception. riksheshu. On trees. On tree. Swa. Swa. His own. padana footstep Footprints. Footprint. Ardarshinam. Not seeing. Swapne. 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 While asleep. Preta. By ghostly spirits. Spirit. Harishvangaha. Harish Being embraced. embraced. Kada. Upon, Upon a donkey. Yana. Yana. Traveling. Visha. Visha, poison. poison. Adanam, swallowing. Swaring. Yaya, yeah, yeah. was going about. Nalada. Nalada, of spinkards. Stinkards. Rose purple flowers native to India. Rose native to India. Mali. Mali, wearing a garland. Wearing a garland. Ekaha. Ekaha, someone. Kaila, with oil. oil. Abhyaktaha. Abhyaktaha. Smeared, smeared Dikambara, dik Naked, naked anyani, anyani, Other Omens, other omens cha, cha, and, and Itambhutani, like these, likely, Swapna, while asleep, Jagari Tani while awake, Cha, also, also, also pasyan, pasyan Singh, sing, Marana, of death, death, death Santrastha, Terrified. terrified Nidram, Nidram. Sleep, Sleep. Nebe. nebe, he could achieve, he could achieve. Na no. not, not. Chintaya because of his anxiety. Because so. of his anxiety. So where we are now in the narration is that uh, Krishna has what has Krishna done right now in Matara? What's Krishna done so far in Mathura? He came in, he met several people He went away with the flowers. And he killed the washerwoman. right? Yes, Yes. and then what else? And he's come to the... um, Well, he got dressed, he got fixed, or actually straightened up. Gubja. Yeah. And he's come to the arena. Okay, he's, what did he break? He broke a bow. He broke a bow, which was very difficult to even lift. Okay. And then when Kamsa heard that Krishna and Balaram had broken the bow, he became, he became, afraid. He became afraid. Okay, so Krishna and Balaram, are they afraid? No, they're just eating nicely and sleeping nicely, and Kamsa's really afraid. Okay, so now this verse is the bad omens that Kamsa seeing. What's going to happen in the next verse? What's going to happen tomorrow in their time? It's going to be the wrestling match. This is Kamsa's big plan, right? So Kamsa has... Right, he was just reviewing a little. So Kamsa was taking his cousin Devaki and her husband right to Vasudev's home and he got this voice from the sky your cousin sister, her eighth child will kill you and because of that he imprisoned them, he killed their first six babies then he heard that Krishna had been born somewhere else and so he's sending all these demons to kill Krishna and Krishna kills all these demons he's unsuccessful then he decides he's going to bring Krishna and Balaam to Mathura and he's going to have some wrestlers kill them in a competition they come to Mathura, they kill a washerman And they break this bow, and he's thinking, My plan's not going to work. He's becoming very frightened. So, this verse, these are the omens that he sees. When he looked at his reflection, he could not see his head. Imagine that, looking in the mirror, and your body's there, but your head's gone. For no reason, the moon and stars appeared double. He saw a hole in his shadow. He could not hear the sound of his life air. He couldn't hear his breathing. Trees seemed covered with a golden hue. He could not see his footprints. He dreamt that he was embraced by ghosts riding a donkey and drinking poison. And also that a naked man smeared with oil was passing by wearing a garland of Nalada flowers. These are all signs of death. Seeing these and other such omens, both while dreaming and while awake, Kamsa was terrified by the prospect of death, and out of anxiety, he could not sleep. There's no BBT purport. I'm going to go to Vishranath Chakravati Thakur. The inauspicious omens are explained in three verses. Though Kamsa saw his reflection in the mirror, the reflection was headless. The moon and other planets appeared double for no apparent reason. There were holes in his shadow. He could not hear his heart beating when covering his ears with his palms, nor could he see his footprints in the dust or mud. Trees appeared golden in color. These omens were perceived in Kamsa's waking state. Kamsa saw these omens in dreams, ghosts embracing him, riding a donkey, drinking poison, and a naked man covered in oil passing by wearing a garland of java flowers. In this way, Kamsa saw many astonishing things, both in waking and sleeping states. And then Sanatana Goswami and Jiva Goswami uh, have the same commentary. These verses, 28 to 30, describe what he saw. He saw double moons and stars in the absence of any obstruction to the eye, such as a finger. Such an omen occurred during the waking state, foreboding death. The word Adi indicates other causes, such as eye disease. The word Cha is used twice to indicate that he did not see some things and saw other things. This occurred for the other things he saw as well. He saw his shadow with a hole in it. These he saw while awake though he stayed awake a long time sometimes after great worries he would become exhausted and then saw dreams other things he saw while awake and while dreaming so here Thompson's getting omens and the omens are quite obviously signs that he should do what what is Thompson supposed to how is he supposed to respond to these omens he should surrender. Right? Jesus talks about that. He says, if you have an army of 10,000 and your enemy is coming towards you with an army of 20,000, you should surrender. And just reading the Mahabharata, how Arjuna is fighting a disguised Lord Shiva. And all of the weapons he uses against Lord Shiva are ineffective. He uses his ordinary weapons, then he uses weapons of the demigods. And none of them work. And even his inexhaustible quiver of arrows becomes exhausted. He has no more of these divine arrows, and then he starts hitting Lord Shiva with his Gandhiu bow, and the Gandhi bow just disappears into the body of Lord Shiva. And then he starts, you know, hitting him and throwing rocks and trees at him, and eventually he decides, wait a minute, maybe I should surrender. That's what these omens are meant for. They're meant to push Kamsa to surrender. Does Kamsa surrender? No. Yeah, a similar situation takes place with Ravana and Ramchandra, where Ravana's sons and brothers are being killed one after another by Ram and Lakshman, and his confidants, associates, his well-wishers, his family members, are all telling him to surrender to Rama. He's seeing all these signs, and still he doesn't surrender so in our own life we would like to know what we should do and what we should not do at every every day we're making decisions some of them appear to be very small decisions and some of them appear to be very big decisions you know big decisions in life we think you know where am i going to live what education am i going to get what job am i going to get am i going to get married who am i going to marry should i have children how many children We think of these, you know, should I get initiated? Who should I take as a guru? We think of these as the big, big decisions in life. And we think of, you know, should I go to Walmart now or in an hour as a small decision in life? But we really can't judge what is a big and a small decision, isn't it? Sometimes whether we get in the car now or an hour from now is the biggest decision of our whole life. You know, it just we have a very difficult time telling what to do and what not to do. So it would be really nice if we could know right, what we should do and what we should not do, what actions will be good for us and what actions will be bad for us. So what we'd like to learn from this verse is that we should practice paying attention to the ways in which the Lord is communicating with us. Because like a good parent, a decent parent, They want their children to be happy and they want their children to make good decisions. And they will give them, just like I was talking to one of my grandsons the other day, about decisions that he was looking at in his life. And I was saying, you know, here's some advice for you that can help you make these decisions. I said, take the advice or not as you like. But this is the natural role that superiors take with their subordinates, isn't it? The natural parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, teachers, the government. The government has notices on the cigarette boxes, do not smoke this. It will cause cancer. It will cause cancer. That's their, they educate, the government educates the children in the school. This is honest life, this is criminal life. Do this, don't do this. And then of course we have to make our choices. But we should make our choices actually being able to know what is the good advice from someone who knows. Now, our parents might not know, our teachers might not know, the government might not know, but God knows, the Lord knows. He knows what is good for us and what is not good for us. So this is a question of being open, being aware of what he's advising, and having the humility to accept it, and then being willing to act on it. When I, when, uh, when I used to run a Gurukula, one of my favorite books for the children, I actually met the author, took one of her seminars. They said, the point is to know the truth, to believe the truth, and to act on the truth. So here we wonder if Kamsi even knows the truth. Like, is he looking at these omens? I mean, he's, he's getting an anxiety seeing these omens while waking and sleeping, and they're pretty heavy-duty omens. I mean, if I looked in the mirror and my head was gone, no, that's a pretty extreme omen. You're not leaving any footprints. There's holes in your shadow. You're dreaming about ghosts. I mean, it's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Does he believe the omens? Well, somewhat, because he's having trouble sleeping. Does he act on it? No. He acts contrary to it. All right, so what are our indications? I want to look at our general indications, and I want to look at omens, and then I want to look at how we can become receptive. So the general indications, of course, are the scriptures. The scriptures tell us what's good and what's bad. What will help us, what will not help us. But we have a problem if all we have are the scriptures. First of all, different scriptures of different religions are going to give different types of advice, especially when it comes to details. And even if we're going to take within one faith, within one school, the descriptions in, say, the Bhagavatam or the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's really hard to know which of these we should apply to ourselves. You know, which which of them has meaning for us? Because some of the things, just like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a sannyasi, he wouldn't meet with a king. He said, This will look very bad if I'm associating with a king. A king is a materialistic person. But we find Srila Bhakti, Sananta and Srila Prabhupada went out of their way to meet with political leaders in order to influence them to change society. But this was a big thing before Lord Chaitanya, that I'm not going to meet with a king. So when we look at the scriptures, we're going to have some difficulty understanding what exactly should I do. Srila Prabhupada compares this situation to going into a pharmacy. So we've all been in a pharmacy, or what people in other parts of the world call a chemist shop. Mm-hmm. And there in the pharmacy, there are so many medications. I mean, even if we're talking about over-the-counter medications, right? If you go to your local Walgreens or Walmart pharmacy or CVS, or, and just not, not even talking about prescription medications, even if you're looking at medications for one condition, you're looking at medications for a headache or... You're looking at medications for skin rashes. But look how many there are. There's so many. How are you going to know what to take for yourself and at what dosage and for how long, right? So the scriptures are like that. So many different regulations, so many different scriptures, so many different examples. So in order to know how to apply the scriptures, we need the sadders. So the sadhus, and in fact, the scripture itself is full of stories of sadhus. The scripture is not just a a list of rules. But it has stories. This is how Yudhisthira behaved. This is how Prithu Maharaj behaved. This is how Dhuva behaved. This is how Kunti behaved. This is how these people behaved, How, how these persons took the Shastra and exemplified it in their own life. And then we have more contemporary sadhus. We have how did Bhakti Vinod, Thakur, behave as, as a married man with a family. How did Śrīla Bhakti Sanatya behave as a renunciate? And then we have guru. So guru is in our time. Uh, one, uh, one concept of Diksha guru is that you have to take initiation from someone who's personally present before you. You can take instruction from someone who lived 3,000 years ago and wrote something down, but for initiation, the person has to be present. And one of the reasons for that is that time, place, and circumstance things change. What's appropriate at one time is not appropriate in another time. We read in, in the Bhagavatam about kidnappings happening for marriages. That would be completely inappropriate in 2023. Don't try kidnapping your prospective bride. You know, so the guru in our time tells us what's appropriate for our time. And the guru, even more than that, tells us what's appropriate for us individually. But most spiritual masters don't want to be asked about nitpicking details, like, should I go to Walmart at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock? That's just annoying. You know, I had somebody contact me some years ago and said, Oh, Ramila, accept you as my, my shiksha guru, and she said, Should I learn to play Merdanga? And I said, Well, if you want to. <laughs> I wasn't going to say to her, No, you can't learn Merdanga, or Yes, you have to learn Murdunga. And then she said, Well, should I buy a red Merdanga or a blue Merdanga? I'm like, I really don't care. And she said, Well, if you won't tell me what color Merdanga to buy, I won't learn how to play Merdanga. I said, That's up to you. I said, Actually, this is annoying. He said, if you're going to come to me for spiritual guidance, it's not that you ask me these kind of questions. Should I take another plate of halva? Should I eat halva at all? You know, I don't know. It's not my business. But these might be very big questions in our life. They might be life-changing questions. Right? Should I go to Walmart now or in an hour? That might change my whole life. Isn't it? Yes? I mean, I, I had my whole life change according to whether I was in a place at a particular moment and who I met at that moment. My husband's whole business started because of a chance encounter I had with a particular person at a particular moment time. Had I been there five minutes earlier, five minutes later? One time when I was driving to Atlanta for a vertical meeting, I, I, was, I was the only one on the road and a car came from the other direction, bounced across the median, and went literally one yard in front of my car and bounced into the woods. And had I been one second later, had I been driving at a slightly different speed, that car would have gone right into the driver's side of my car. And either I, I either I wouldn't be sitting here at all today, or I'd probably be in a wheelchair or something like that. And then I was the only one who saw the car go into the woods. So this is before cell phones and I got up at the nearest exit and I called the police if there's a car had I not been there nobody would have seen that car so these kind of decisions you know when to leave my house how fast to drive where am I going this isn't the kind of thing you're going to call up your spiritual master you know should I drive at 68 miles an hour or 70 miles so how are we going to decide those things for this we have signs in nature indications, omens, that give us some indicators. So we have the Shastra, we have the sadhus, we have Gurus,
1: and then we also have omens.
0: Uh, of the Pandavas Nakpo was very expert in reading omens. So I want to look at some of these examples of omens. Okay. So here we have, uh, from Bhagavatam 114, 2 to 5, this is, Krishna has left the planet, but the Pandavas don't know this yet. At least four of the Pandavas don't know, Arjuna knows. And Yudhisthira is noticing that his brothers is late, coming back to Indraprastha, and he's, or Hastinapur, and he's seeing these omens. People in general became accustomed to greed, anger, pride. Maharaj Yudhisthira said to his younger brother Bhim Singh, I sent Arjuna to Dwarka to meet his friends and to learn from the personality of Godhead Krishna of his program for work. Since he departed, seven months have not returned, and I do not factually know how things are going there. Okay. So, some of the other omens. The direction of eternal time had changed. Disruptions in the seasonal regularities. Is this happening now? Are we getting disruptions in the seasonal regularities? I always said the people in general had become greedy, angry, and deceitful. They were adopting foul means of livelihood. This is also another omen that we're seeing today. All ordinary transactions and dealings became polluted with cheating, even between friends. And in familiar affairs, there was always misunderstanding between fathers, mothers, and sons, between well wishers and between brothers, even between husband and wife, there was always strain and quarrel. So these were the signs that Maharaj Yudhisthira saw that he said, I think Krishna's gone. Alright, then we're gonna look at 317, 4 to 14. So this was at the birth, imminent birth of Hiranyaksha and Hirandikashipu. There, blew, uh, there were earthquakes along the mountains of the earth, and it appeared that there was fire everywhere. Many inauspicious planets like Saturn appeared, along with comets, meteors, and thunderbolts. There blew winds, which were most inviting to the touch, hissing again and again, uprooting gigantic trees. They had storms for their armies and clouds of dust for their ensigns, that remembered Bhagavatam's poetry. The luminaries in the heavens were streamed by masses of clouds in which lightning sometimes flashed as though laughing. Darkness reigned everywhere and nothing could be seen. The oceans with its high waves wailed aloud as if stricken with sorrow, and there was a commotion among the creatures inhabiting the ocean. The rivers and lakes were also agitated and lotuses withered. Misty halos appeared around the sun and the moon during solar and lunar eclipses again and again. Claps of thunder were heard even without clouds, and sounds like those of rattling chariots emerged in the mountain caves. In the interiors of the villages, she-jackals yelled portentously, vomiting strong fire from their mouths, and jackals and owls also joined them with their cries. Raising their necks, dogs cried here and there, now in the manner of singing and now of wailing. The asses ran hither and thither in herds, striking the earth with their hard hooves and wildly braying. Frightened by the braying of the asses, birds flew shrieking from their nests, while cattle in the cowsheds as well as in the woods cast dung and urine. Cows, terrified, yielded blood in place of milk. Clouds rained pus. The images of the gods in the temples shed tears, and trees fell down without a blast of wind. Ominous planets such as Mars and Saturn shone brighter and surpassed the auspicious ones, such as Mercury, Jupiter, and Venus as well as a number of lunar mansions. Taking seemingly retrograde courses, the planets came into conflict with one another. So This is at the birth of the great demons. And then we have when Krishna is in the coils of Kaliya. This is 10, 16, 12. In the Vrindavan area, there were then arose all three types of fearful omens, those on the earth, those in the sky, and those in the bodies of other creatures. And Sridhar Maharaj comments, On the earth there were disturbing tremors, in the sky there were meteors falling, and in the bodies of creatures there was shivering as well as quivering of the left eye and other parts of the body. Now quivering of the left side for men is inauspicious and for women it's auspicious. So when Rukmini was wondering whether or not Krishna was going to come, her left side quivered, and that way she was auspicious. All right, and then we have a positive one that we read not too long ago with Akura. This is ten thirty-eight nine. He said, Surely I shall see the face of Lord Mukunda, since the deer are now walking past me on my right. So in the purport it says, Akura saw an auspicious omen, the, pa- omen, the passing of the deer on his right, and thus felt sure he would see the Supreme Lord. So, of course, there's a whole science of omens, as I said, of the Pandavas nakula knew this science. Some of these omens, like we talked about, were for the whole planet, that there was something inauspicious happening at the planet, Krishna had left, or demons were being born, and some of them are for an individual. So we want to be kind of alert. And I remember some friend of mine... And wanted to buy a particular property and when we were looking at the property I remember I, I said look the the numbers aren't aren't working here how much money you have what is the cost of the property it was raw land what's going to be the cost of building a house putting in you know sewage and electric and all that I said it's that you're just not going to be able to make the numbers work it's, it's just it's not going to be a good idea but there was some draw. It was a beautiful, beautiful piece of property. And so people saying, yes, you should get it. Yes, you should get it. And then my friends started feeling extreme anxiety about it. And the other people involved said, this is an omen. The fact that you're feeling such anxiety. I had a situation like that here many years ago that I had resigned from being the headmaster of the school and I was looking for some other service. And so I got two invitations. I got one invitation to the Vrindavan Gurukula to be a teacher there, and one to the Gurukula in Auckland, New Zealand. And they were both very good invitations, and I was I was quite interested in in each of these. But somehow I didn't feel peaceful about it. Like we find this here with so he's feeling all this anxiety. I just didn't feel peaceful. Every time I tried to make an effort to go and to get the paperwork together, I just felt this overwhelming sense of this is not right, this is not right. I I ended up doing what we call a Prashna, and what I was told by one astrologer is if you take either of these choices, it will will not work out as you expected. And the person who invited me to New Zealand uh, passed away in a car crash two months later, and the person who invited me to Vrindavan ended up stepping down from their position in the school about two months ago. And so the people who had invited me and the people who were setting everything up wouldn't have been there. And I just thought, you know, it it wouldn't have worked out. I would have gone, and it it wouldn't have worked out at all. So instead I ended up doing something else, which ended up being a segue to an, uh, actually what ended up being a very wonderful thing in my life. So we want to kind of be aware and not be ignoring, like Hums is doing, he's just ignoring. And, and these are pretty strong moments. They're not just like some little feeling of anxiety. It's, it, it's pretty strong. It, you know, basically, Krishna, through the universal elements, is kind of screaming at the guy. You know, it's like you're shaking someone's shoulders and saying, stop, stop, stop. Don't do this. So how are we going to kind of increase our receptivity? You, know, you can think of it like, I mean, I haven't done this for years and years and years, but you know, it used to be like cars had radios in them. Do cars still have radios? In them? And you, you would turn like a dial to find a radio station, and you kind of turn it, and they're sort of static, and you get to exactly the right place to find the radio. I don't know if I'm really being dated saying this. You know, and you had to be in the right place. I guess we find this with our mobile phones. You know, you've got to have good reception. Like recently I went to this retreat in Orlando and I couldn't get any signal on my phone in the cabin where I was staying. I mean, occasionally I might get like five minutes of reception every two or three hours. You know, I had to go to a particular place. So we want to have our own psyche receptive. And Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita that this receptivity is according to the gunas. So when we're enveloped by Thomas, by the mode of Thomas, we have almost no receptivity. It's kind of like my trying to use my phone in that cabin in Orlando. You know, I, I had practically nothing. I just I couldn't get any bars. I couldn't get any signal. I mean, I might get it for a moment like I get it for like 30 seconds one message would come through and then I'd try to respond and it wouldn't work so Thomas is like that in Thomas we're not receptive and we think what's good is bad and what's bad is good we're just completely confused like Kamsa here he's getting all these heavy omens that he's going to go ahead with his plan we have have it backwards then in Rajas you have like sometimes you get it right so when we're in rajas, sometimes we understand what to do, and sometimes we don't. You know, it, it, it varies. <laughs> and in sattva, Krishna says, we understand what is to be done, what is not to be done, what is liberating, what is binding, what is to be feared, what is not to be feared. We have clarity. Of course, sattva doesn't give us ultimate clarity. Only bhakti gives us ultimate clarity. Sattva doesn't give us ultimate clarity because even sattva is selfish. Sattva is I'm very spiritual and I'm very clear. (laughs) So there's still the I. We're going to make decisions over what will bring us more spirituality and more clarity, but for the motive of having a sense of balance and harmony rather than the motive of pleasing Krishna. And sometimes Krishna wants to put us in a situation that isn't just this peaceful thing. Sometimes the way to please Krishna and to fight ultimate, expansive, dynamic joy is to go into a situation which, according to sattva, would be risky. So our ultimate clarity is from us being in Bhakti. But also to be receptive, we need to be humble. And Kamsa here is not humble. He's actually been given advice all along not to take this path. Right from the wedding of Vasudeva and Devaki, he's been given advice not to take this path. But he's never humble. Humble means maybe somebody knows something more than I do. Maybe something that looks good to me is not. Maybe something that looks bad to me is not. Maybe I don't know everything. Maybe my vision is really obscured. I'm very tiny. I'm like a little ant on the windowsill that can't see the highway. So to be in Bhakti and to have humility and then to respond. To say whatever things look like to me in in my ego, I am going to respond to Shastra, I am going to respond to Sadhus, I am going to respond to Guru's and I am going to respond to the indications within nature that the Lord is giving me. And then we won't be uh, pummeled like our poor comrades.